from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Launchpad on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm Carl Ulrich. I'm a professor at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania, where I teach innovation, entrepreneurship, and design. I'm super lucky to be joined as my first guest by Patricia Bubner, who's CEO and founder of Orbillion. And Patricia, we're going to get right into it. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Carl. I'm so excited to be here and can't wait for all the questions that we'll answer today for the audience. Okay, well, first things first, let's just make sure our listeners know how to find you. It's a great name, Orbillion, and it's just the word billion with O-R in front of it, Orbillion, Orbillion.com. All right, Patricia, what's Orbillion all about? Give us the elevator pitch. (laughs) Sure. So at Orbillion Bio, we make lab-grown, or how we call it, cell-cultured premium meats, and we actually make Wagyu beef without the animal. We take the cells, put them in a bioreactor and make delicious food out of that. Much more efficient, faster, and more delicious than the real thing. Wow, that's really cool. So I uh, actually, one of my friends uh, is the owner of one of the big Wagyu restaurants in San Francisco, Niku, and he has a butcher shop. So I've been in there and I bought that stuff and cooked it. Describe for us the Holy Grail. Like what is a piece of Wagyu beef and what would that product look like if you're able to achieve your goal? Well, Carl, it seems we have a common friend because Guy Krems is on our advisory board. So probably that's a question that you should ask him (laughs) because what we're doing actually is making beef Wagyu beef, but we're making a product that's not here to resemble a steak. Mm-hmm. We're currently, our first products that will roll out will be ground meat products. And what it's really about is what we can do with cell cultured meat is recreate a product that has the same nutritious properties, the same flavor as, as the real thing, but we're not going for a steak. Yeah, but the thing about Wagyu, uh, even if you were going for a steak, it strikes me the form factor in which it's usually delivered is somewhere somewhat less challenging, I would think, than than a, than a tomahawk steak or something, because there's no bone, there's no big hunk of fat on the edge. It's almost a, it almost looks like a manufactured chunk of meat. That's interesting that you say that. Um, well, you know, the important part about meat and about the food that we're eating is always flavor. It's the nutritional value that it can deliver, right? And that is really what cell cultured meat can do. So for for Wagyu beef, for example, why we chose that is really because if you can make any any type of meat, why Mm -hmm. wouldn't you make the best type of meat Mm -hmm. if it costs you the same, which is not the factor in agriculture and traditional ranching and farming, right? Because Wagyu beef to get this marbling that you were talking about the form factor right it takes um, a a Wagyu cattle to be raised for three years Angus for example are harvested much earlier it's much cheaper to do to do that as compared Mm -hmm. to Wagyu and then what you get with Wagyu beef is just all the the flavor these very specific melt in your mouth fatty acids and so on and so forth and that's definitely something that we are doing in, in our product. 
Okay, so let's just get in the weeds a little bit on the science and technology. So when you say cell cultured, I guess that means you start with a a biological cell, a cell that at some point came from from a a, 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 a beef. A beef cow, and and then describe for us just a little bit in layman's terms how that culturing process works. Yeah, that's a very important uh, question because often people ask, so what's the difference to Impossible Burgers or Beyond Burgers? Well, they are made from plant proteins and they are shaped in a way, and there are things added so that they feel and taste like meat. But what we do, as you said, is we take the cell from an animal and that's a very distinct process where we have, of course, veterinarians present and so on. We take these cells and then in the, in the actual bioreactor, they, we, where we put them, they get everything they need, just like in the body of an animal. When you look at an animal, how it grows, right? You have blood that has all the nutrients and brings it to the cells. And we do the same thing in a bioreactor. We give the cells all the nutrients that they need, and then they replicate, they grow, and we can make more cells much more efficiently, of course, than the animal can. We don't have to produce hooves or bones or feelings. And we make only the things that we really need, which is the muscle and the fat and all the tasty things that we want to eat. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when you, you have some kind of biopsy, process some way of pulling out some cells from a live animal it sounds like the animal doesn't have to be sacrificed for that um exactly my if, if i think about wagyu just in layman terms there is muscle tissue and fat tissue at least two kinds of cells how, how do you either keep them straight or keep them mixed uh such that you can create a more the properly integrated material yeah, there are different ways to do that. You could either, for example, separate, these cells are always in the beginning separated, right? Mm -hmm. So you start, when you start cell culture, you start with one pure population of cells mm -hmm. that's either fat cells or either muscle cells. So you can make a lot of these cells and then mix them together, let them grow. There are different ways also to grow them in what we call co-cultures. And that is all depending on the final product that you want to make. Something that we're really where we are now in this point of time, cell culture has come such a long way that people are excited to hear that we're actually at a point where the first products will be coming out in a year or so from now. And it will be a, as it were, ground beef uh, form factor. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And of course, then later on, you will see different types of products and we can produce and we we do not only have Wagyu beef at our billion, we also work with lamb. Yeah. We work with wild elk and bison yeah. to make these more game meats accessible. Yeah. So I, I've had, uh, I've had Uma Baletti on, on the show. He's spoken to my class a couple times with, with Upside Foods. There have been a bunch of people who've tried this. So what, what's hard about this and, and what are the unique, what are the unique approaches that you bring to it? So what's hard about this is what's hard about any, I would say, deep tech um, startup that produces something that hasn't been done before. You need to scale it and nobody has scaled it before. So scaling is, is something that needs to be figured out. The cost, nothing that's very unique to cell cultured meat, but definitely something that all companies in this uh, area face. And then 
the regulatory process is also uh, something that's unique because just in the US, there hasn't been any of these products that had regulatory approval. We saw that happening in Singapore um, in 2020. And since then, a lot has changed. So that's something that definitely is, is there. And the last thing that needs to change is really our, as, as a society, our way, how we think about food is being made. And that's something that we also actively work on to show people what's possible and how amazing the products are that we can create in that way. Mm -hmm. And where we're really special at our Billion Bio is that we start from that consumer focus. We want to make products, in our case, in the beginning, premium products for people that want to try these things, that are looking for a way how they can consume in a more sustainable way, in a way that still gives them that delicious product that they crave, that they want. And that is where we really excel on that, on that part of, of putting the consumer first. And second, of course, in our speed. To date, we're the only cell-cultured meat company that has showcased three different types of meats, namely the Wagyu beef, lamb, and the wild elk in our first pre-regulatory tasting last year. And we did that 18 times faster and mm -hmm. 10 times cheaper than our competitors. Mm -hmm. And is that to what, I know you're not gonna tell me your every secret uh, as you shouldn't. I but... may. You can try. <laughs> All right, I'll ask you. All right. So, so what, what? Okay. So, what's the trick? So, so eighteen times faster. I, I mean, this, this is. I mean, for those of you who haven't thought about this for five minutes, I mean, you, you're going to do this. You're going to grow stuff in a warm environment at scale. It's, it's like a disaster from all, almost any. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about what else grows in a warm in in this in whatever cell culture you have. It, it's a really hard thing, I'm sure, to get right. Uh, what do you bring to this that others have not brought to this? Well, it's not that hard. You have to keep things sterile. And actually, it's something that we have been doing in, for example, the biopharma industry for decades. And it's not something new. What's new is all the evolving and converging technologies that enable us now to do that at that scale and at that mm -hmm. speed with different cells especially in our case with cells that we produce for, for food. But there are really good ways, Carl, to control that. And what makes us special is really the full stack technology platform that we've built. And because we as a founding team came together and have experience in exactly that industry, in the biopharma industry and cell biology, the three founders are scientists um, mm -hmm. that worked in this industry and we knew exactly where we want to go where we want to take this and and i also had a little food project at during my postdoc at uc berkeley so bringing all that knowledge together and having a really mission-driven approach where we say what is it that the consumer wants and what is it that we want to see in such a product that really helps us to guide the technology in a way that we can make these products happen faster Okay, I'm gonna push you one more time on this. Please do. Because, because <laughs> look, I, I mean, this is a hot space, yes, um, but hundreds of millions of dollars have gone into alternative protein. And, and you know, to that extent, you're a little late, you know, you're re fairly recent uh, startup. You managed to get into Y Combinator, tr attract some seed capital uh, in your pitch deck. What does it say that it's like, why are we special? Yeah. 
That's a great question, but you haven't seen the latest pitch deck, right? No. So I wouldn't say that we are fair that we are late actually. And again, if you look at how long it took for some of the first movers to get to the point where they are and how fast we're mm -hmm. catching up with them, that's exactly how we've proven in the last year, how fast we are with executing, mm -hmm. right? So getting to the cell densities that you need in your bioprocess and getting to the scale up with beef cells. I mean, right now to, to see people doing chicken is fantastic, but who really is able to currently scale beef cells? Well, that's us, especially yeah. with a premium product. And then looking at the products that we want to make nutritious products, understanding, deeply understanding the biology of these cells and how can we really make them do what we want? It's not something that is known. Nobody has ever looked into Wagyu beef cells or lamb to say what actually makes them taste great, what makes them nutritious. So there's a lot that is left to explore in that field. And again, we're talking about a huge market that, that is open for a lot of amazing products that will come out of there. It's not going to be one company that dominates yeah. the, the trillion dollar market. So yeah, and and actually to be to be to be a little bit of a booster on this point, you know, I teach in class, there in new categories, there actually is no first mover advantage. In fact, there's a huge advantage to sitting around and watching a bunch of other people burn capital and allow some of the some of the technology, as you put it, the stack to come to come up to speed. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So that so in some ways you let them do a lot of hard work and it allows those you said that, but yeah, well, well put, of course, especially sure. if you have a knowledge about the industry and about what the problems are and then see it. And then we can do that with a lot less cash, but also, you know, building up specific technologies where we know they can overcome the problems that the industry faces. Yeah. All right. So you laid out a pretty ambitious goal here, which is a year from now, I'm going to be able to taste this product. Um, and, and tell me, you, you guys come at it from very much from a technical and science background, like put it, give us a commercialization lens here. How, how did you decide what the first product is, what the first shot on goal is? How do you think through that decision and what's your plan? To, to, yeah. How do you how do you take that to market? Yeah. Yeah. Super important. So for for me personally, having nutritious food and having that available for everyone is is the goal, right? Democratizing access to nutritious food. Yes, we will start at a premium angle because we also can't produce the amounts for to feed everyone in the beginning. But the goal is definitely. Um, to bring it down to, to price parity with commodity beef, which we recently published, we will be able to do by 2030. And with premium meats, we will be at price parity in 2026. And how we thought about that first product is, you know, I like good food. I'm not a person that eats fast food or uh, chicken nuggets or anything. I want to have good nutritious food and I want to have food that other that I feel good about other people eating. And I know cell-cultured meat can deliver exactly that. We can provide access to food that is healthy, that tastes great, and that is exactly what the consumers want. So starting from that point, is the question was for me always like, where do these companies take their cells from? And it seemed kind of random. 
So we always said from the beginning, we take the cells from the best animals. And what are the best animals? It's not the animals that you have in factory farming that are really bred to put on as much muscle in as short a time as possible. The best and most flavorful meat, they are heritage breeds. And I know that from my background, I come from Austria originally and my grandparents are farmers. And to this day, I'm on a ranch every weekend. So understanding really that we are building with our products on the craft of the farmers, the ranchers, the breeders of the past and of the current breeders, that is, I think, very important to build the best products. That's also why we have a butcher on our advisory board. I'm Carl Ulrich, and you're listening to Launchpad on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. Today, I'm joined by Patricia Bubner, who's the CEO and founder of Four Billion. So, uh, Patricia, talk a little bit about your motivations. So, what, what, what? Take us back to the origin story. You did. You've done a bunch of stuff in a bunch of eclectic stuff in in your career. What, what moved you to start this company, and what, what really drives you? Yes, um, I actually studied chemical engineering because I wanted to make food. I was just a little bit early back then. I was always interested in what makes perfect food, what makes flavor, what makes nutrition, which molecules are it. I didn't take it down to the physics level, but definitely what are these really these, these building blocks of nutritious food? And again, coming from an environment where we were very much uh, in touch with the food that we ate, my parents still buy their meat at the same pharma, Pharmacal, funny enough, in Austria. And um, that is something that I know we, we, can, we can replicate. So that drives me. And when I studied chemistry, I was always getting at it from an, a sustainability angle. And how can, we, how can I, as a scientist, explain to people that chemistry isn't bad and chemicals aren't bad, but what we're doing with it matters. And after you know, a stint in biofuels that brought me to UC Berkeley, where I did my postdoc, I started a food project there dealing with millets, um, where we were really helping or working with farmers to grow these climate and drought tolerant grains in California and to diversify grains. That really brought me back to food. And when at that time, cell cultured meat became a thing, I just heard my calling. I knew that's it. I mean, yeah. that's the opportunity to do exactly what I had dreamed of when I started to study. Yeah, but you know, it's interesting. So I, I, I guess now would be the moment to tell you, I um, have a cattle ranch and uh, as a result became vegetarian because I can't, I can't slaughter number 59. I just can't, you know, so I, but for me, I, I guess I would have come, I, I would have, I would have expected you to say something about ethics or something about environment. Are those in the background or are those prominent? You know, for me, the humans are first. And I was thinking about food security back in that time already. How can we really make sure that we can feed people when there are no cattle or when we don't have enough cattle? That is the, the driver for me, the driver for the company in general, of course, that's why we're doing beef, it has the biggest environmental impact. If we look at greenhouse gas emissions, a total of the greenhouse gas emissions, 8% are caused by cattle alone, by beef. Right. And that is massive, right? That's where we're not doing chicken or, or pork. And the second largest polluter is actually lamb. So with these two, we're really already covering a large part of that. Um, in terms of ethics, I'm not vegan. I'm not vegetarian. I enjoy meat. I'm very conscious about how much and what I consume, but I also understand where you're coming from. 
And um, I think it's a big important part for a lot of people, but the customers that we target are meat eaters. And that's also the products that we make. They are for meat eaters made from meat eaters. Yeah. All right. So I want to now ask maybe a little bit of a uh, subtle question. I, I, when I teach innovation management, I talk about the push and the pull. The pull being you start with a pain point for a job to be done and you pull a solution. The push being you have a particular technological approach you go looking for a market. I love that I also get a business class here. Thanks, Carl, because, you know, I'm just a PhD I'm such scientist. A professor. I know, it's so annoying. <laughs> Uh, so, so first of all, which, which is this push or pull? And uh, and and a, a related question is how and to what extent does the user, the consumer, really have a role in this kind of innovation? We see a massive pull from the market. People want to have alternatives. They want to have options, and especially the younger generation is very knowledgeable and interested in getting products that are more sustainable, that are in line with their lifestyle and the products that they want to see, right? And so we have done our fair share of consumer research. We've talked to people. There's really an appetite for something different and people have different motivations for that. And exactly that pull will also help us to bring these products to market. That's why you see so many more alternatives than we used to see, right? And this is amazing for us, especially when you think about how consumers, even now, I was at a conference last week and consumers were asking, how can we convince um, the retailers, for example, to feature these products? How can we get these products out on the market so that we can buy them? I think that's an amazing sign for readiness uh, of the consumers. Yeah, you know, it's been shocking to me just how fast the consumer acceptance has come along. I mean, I, I can buy, you know, a pound of Impossible in, in Target. It's crazy. You know, you can buy this stuff. You know, I never doubted it because yeah. when I thought about people going to a fast food restaurant and eating a burger, what do you think about? You want your belly to be full. You want a certain flavor and you want it at a certain price. You yeah. do not care where that animal came from, yeah. how it lived, what it ate and how it was treated. I'm sorry, it's just not a thing. And we see the same thing when we talk to consumers that they're like, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about a slaughterhouse and how gross it is and how it smells there. You know, so, and, and that that's where I was like, oh, they probably also don't think about the process if it's made in a different way. So we offer that. You have something that is produced in a different way that is actually a better product for you and that you can buy at in the future, the price that you expect it to buy. Yeah. All right. Talk, we have time probably for one, one more major topic. Talk, talk a little bit about uh, financing and your job as CEO. I, you, you, you know, to, to be in Y Combinator is an amazing stamp of approval. And then we're able to raise 5 million in a seed round, which is amazing. Uh, talk to us about what's next and how you're thinking about financing and what kind of journey that's been. Yeah, I mean, Y Combinator was a fantastic experience, even though it was remote or virtual at that oh. point in time. And last year, we actually raised a total of nine and a half million dollars oh, okay. to this point. Um, we kept a little bit under the radar also. Yeah, you kept it off front face. Oh no, now they know. Don't um, worry, no really, one's listening. Yeah. <clears throat> for us, the, the financing is always a result of us reaching the milestones, right? So 
the the important thing is can we get to the scale we want can we get the process ready at the point we want can we get the team to the point that we wanted and then you want to have the money so you can reach your next milestones that's how we think about financing otherwise you know as as you mentioned you you can put a lot of money into a million dollar sink so i think having the technology driver and that readiness driver is very important so for us it was really about how fast can we scale how can we bring the talent in that we wanted as you know that wasn't that easy especially if you look at last year at the last two years how the market has changed but we were very successful there and have an amazing team of 15 people right now that come from Genentech, Pfizer, and Merck and other um, really, really good backgrounds. We have an amazing set of advisors that we work with. So the next point for us will be really another financing round so that we can get our product into the market, that we can get through the regulatory approval and really um, get people to eat our cell cultured Wagyu beef. All right. Well, I, I put it in Outlook uh, that June 2023, that's when I want to try it. So I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> awesome. Very, Perfect. very excited. It's amazing stuff. So Patricia, thank you, Carl. Bad time, but thanks, thanks so much for making the time. Of course. Thank you for having me, Carl. All right. You can follow Orbillion at orbillion.com. We need to take a short break. Then when we're back, I'm going to talk to Pradeep Ellen Kumaran, who's the co-founder and CEO of Farmstead, the rapidly growing online grocer. Launchpad. The grand vision is often not in place when you launch. You have some little wedge that you're passionate about, uh, but in any kind of market where there's a lot of disequilibrium, you quickly become one of the experts uh, within a couple of years, and you're actually in a position to make a, a better move, a better, a, a better second move. Uh, as, as you go forward. I think that's a great insight as well. Launchpad, Mondays at 5 p.m. East on Business Radio. American Top 40. We're heading for a brand new number one song. Casey Kasem counts the hits that shined in the 70s. It's time for this hour's long distance dedication. Our letter is postmarked Billings, Montana. Hear the actual 40 song countdown that aired during this week of the Super 70s. Keep your feet in the ground and keep reaching for the stars. American Top 40. Saturdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. With replays throughout the weekend on 70s on 7. 7. Comedy Central Radio, Sirius XM 95, has the biggest names in comedy and specials all day long. Let's get straight into it. Late night, it's The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. I couldn't have said it better myself. Cool man, he's having an existential crisis on air. I mean, what is a journalist anymore? And the opposition with Jordan Klepper. It's where opinions, policies, and realities are born. I represent the outsider, the underdog. Like the billionaire TV star president. Comedy Central Radio on Sirius XM 95. Or listen on the Sirius XM app. Sirius XM is the destination for the best of podcasts. Including shows especially for parents. Listen to real talk about raising little kids. This is Have Kids They Said, and it is not for kids. This is about kids. Unpack the mysteries of fatherhood. Dad's the podcast. Not just for dads, but for dads and non-dads. Explore motherhood in all its shapes and sizes. A MomCast. We're moms and we're momming. Hear them all on the SiriusXM app. Download it today and tap podcasts.